Welcome to A Table in the Corner, a podcast by me, Russell Wasserfall. As a writer, editor, photographer, and cookbook publisher, I've been working in the media space for over three decades. I've also run music venues and bars, owned a couple of restaurants, and eaten a lot of fabulous meals. Join me as I chat to the chefs, producers, and entrepreneurs who drive the food industry. Together, we'll dig deeper into our obsession with the business of eating. If you like the show, hitting follow really helps our numbers. You can also leave content ideas and comments on the Instagram page at A Table in the Corner. The other day I was shopping um, at our local organic market, it's called Organic Zone in Lakeside, and um, I bumped into somebody who I recognized from his Instagram profile. Um, it was Chef Steve from No Fixed Address, and I tapped him on the shoulder. Luckily he didn't spin around and whack me, but um, I asked him if he'd, because I'm interested in a particular dish that Steve is famous for, so I asked him if it would be okay to interview him on a table in the corner, and here he is. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Russell. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, thanks for not hitting me. <laughs> do my best. Do you usually get accosted by random podcasters in uh, markets? I think you're the first. Uh, so. uh, you make my wife's favorite food market meal. We often pop into the Bluebird garage of a Thursday or a Friday, and she makes a beeline for your Japanese chicken noodle dish. Russell, we've been doing this chicken dish for about three or four years now. Okay. Um, it had its genesis back in the days before I came back to South Africa. I was away for 19 years. I came back six years ago. Um, from where? From Vancouver, Canada. Oh, okay. Um, and there's a huge Asian influence in Vancouver. And we would often go to Asian restaurants. Particularly, I used to really enjoy the izakaya restaurants, which is the Japanese street food restaurants. Okay, those little street food izakaya. Yeah, so. really cool when you walk in and they always say that, you know, hello in Japanese, it's quite a festive little little vibe going on. Okay. And they would often have uh, chicken karage, which is the Japanese fried chicken. And I, I've always had a love for good fried chicken. It doesn't matter what where I am in the world, I always like trying the different versions of fried chicken. Right. Um, and we started doing our own experiment because there's there's a there's a bunch of different recipes online for of it. Of course there would be, yeah. Um, and we've tweaked it over the years and I think we now have a really good version. Um, I mean, so much so that we did an event at, uh, or we've done, we've done two events for the Japanese day. And a couple of the, Jam the Japanese embassy staff said, like, this is what we get in Tokyo. This is as, as good as their mother's fried chicken, which is... Oh, that's that's like, amazing, that's yeah. High, high praise indeed for that. But for me, it's also very interesting and and it's like a true fusion mm. because you've lived you're a south african mm. who's lived abroad mm. when you were living abroad you yeah. tapped into japanese culture which yeah. was also living abroad in canada yeah. and then you brought your favorite dish from mm. that kind of cultural multicultural mix back here and then you've mixed it up because you've also mixed it up in other ways because you serve it on a sesame noodle is mm. that right and you serve it with that sriracha yeah mayo. So, so we serve it with egg noodles which we toss with a sesame dressing and uh and then we that sriracha mayo i mean that's to me that's i mean i love all the other components but the sriracha mayo my girlfriend hates the mayo but she's the only one i think who hates the mayo I think she uh, might be. I think she's the only one. But it's yeah. it's a very popular, people always love it, and it just ties everything together. And you say it ties everything together, mm. and sriracha is a Thai condiment. There we go. So, so there we go. Look at that. Amazing, amazing. amazing you know. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, it, it, again, it talks to that fusion. 
Mm. You know, because because it's a Japanese chicken with a Thai mayo, and the mayo is mm. French. You know, originally Manaz mm. is French, so it, it, that's a wonderful, almost a multicultural street food, mm. and it's the right kind of street food to sell at a market. Mm. D- did you tell me earlier that you are at a couple of markets? What? Yeah, we we're at the uh, Cape Point Vineyard. Uh, yes, um, okay. we're at. Um, the Nurtuk Village Market. We're at the Range Market, and we are at Biscuitville. Okay, so you're at these markets under the banner of No Fixed Address, and that's something else I wanted to talk to you about, is that's the most fantastic name for a, a, almost a dark kitchen. Yeah, uh, I mean, we some people don't get it at all. Yeah. Um, and you'll often, you'll, you'll, like, you'll contact a new supplier, and they'll say, like, what's the name of your business? And I said, oh, it's No Fixed Address, and they'll be like, now, what's the name of your business? It's no fixed address. <laughs> For me, it was born out of the idea from when I first started this whole business. This was 2009. Yeah. Um, it was back when I was a lawyer back in the back of the day. We wanted to do something which was something a bit different. So we thought about doing something called an underground restaurant, which is effectively where you have people over to your house or your apartment. And we would do five course six course meals for them from our apartment um and we started initially it was just friends and then it was friends of friends and then we became we were doing it two three four nights a week and we would serve 12 to 15 people sometimes it was one group sometimes it was random people who just tagged on to different groups and we did that for about six years until we eventually got busted by the health authorities because uh, we, we had no damn. permits to operate okay in vancouver um, and I still remember the day when it happened because uh, it's quite, Did quite they funny. Come in and heavy flak jackets no, they, they and they didn't, machine they, they guns. Didn't, and... They didn't send a send in the SWAT team. But yeah. um, what they did do is that I got a because I was living on the first floor of this of this really nice building. The health authority guy called me and he said he buzzed me from downstairs. And I said, No, no, I can't buzz you up because the buzzer doesn't work, which was a lie. It did work because I didn't want him to, to come up to my apartment. So I went downstairs to meet him at the front door. And he told me who he was. And I initially said, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just a popular guy. I have people for dinner parties all the time. And then he said to me, he said, no, um, actually, I've sent somebody. I've sent one of my staff undercover to one of your dinners. Um, and, uh, and he said to me, like, you've got to stop doing this. And I was grateful that he didn't give me a fine because he could have given me a fat fine. And then after that, we went fully, fully um, legit, and we then got a proper catering kitchen proper. after that. In a way, I, I was very grateful for that health officer because I, I wasn't sure if I, if I would have left. If you would have made the leap, yeah. Because it was, it, it was a big leap, yeah. um, and it was caused a lot of angst and anxiety. And, no, as it does. Because you've got to invest in a kitchen and all that kind of stuff. And There's a sense in which kind of my little history with the, our restaurant, The Table at Demay, kind of mm. tracks that because I used to have a photographic studio in OBS in mm. Cape Town, and... Mm. On weekends, on Sundays mainly, we used to use the main white studio, put a couple of tables and get some friends around and just cook. Mm. We were charging people, it was how we socialized, mm. but, but, but that was the genesis of our restaurant eventually, mm. that we opened a year and a bit later. So, and, and that, that crossover to actually getting premises, putting in a stove, putting in fridges, you know, getting the electricity sorted out, that makes your eyes wide. No, it does. I mean, I was quite lucky. I had a, um, a friend of mine who was quite connected in the business who was in, he used to run, uh, he used to have a very big rental rental party equipment business. And he knew a lot of people in the industry and he knew this one business that were potentially okay with me helping out. Well, not helping out, but 
sharing their kitchen. Okay. And they had a walk-in fridge and they had, you know, I, I brought in further equipment, but it, it was a huge help. Yes. Um, so I was there for about two years and then I came back home. Um, okay. So that you, was the launch. You didn't, you didn't flee Canada when the SWAT team arrived <laughs> on your doorstep. <laughs> no, it, it, it took you a while to pack up and took go. Took me a while, took yeah. me a while. Um, Coming back here, did you come back here to South Africa with the express intention of continuing as a catering operation? When I first came back, we started a, a little restaurant in OBS uh, yeah. on Lower Main called No Fixed Address. Okay. Um, and um, it was, I did it with my cousin. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. We had numerous break-ins. We had one arm robbery yeah. and three okay. or four break-ins. And I was, there was just a lot of stress. And we th- I think construction took like double the amount of time it was supposed to as take. As it always does, yeah. Double the budget as, yeah. you, as, you, as these things happen. And I just, I just wasn't happy with the situation. And, and then we were lucky enough to find... Um, our current kitchen where we've been for over three years now. So that that's the kitchen in Lakeside in Correct. Main Road in yeah, the old, yeah. and it's, in the old it's bakery perfect. There. It's perfect for me because I, I'm a, I'm a Musenberg boy, so it's literally it's, okay. a, it's a five minute commute. It's a five minute commute, okay. Uh, as opposed to driving, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes to work. To, okay. So I'm happy where I am. And it was pretty much from there that we started to slowly grow the catering scene. Um, it was growing and then COVID came and just chopped it off at the knees. Yes. Um, so we, we focused, I mean, that COVID dish, sorry, that during COVID, that fried chicken was the one dish that actually got us through COVID. So I wanted to come back and talk about that sure. dish because there are, there are actually a couple of things that interest me about it. So give me the rundown. How did it save you in COVID? So we had, I remember before COVID, we had a bigger menu. We had to just cut everything down to the basics. And we decided to strip all the other items and figure out what was the best seller. And fried chicken was selling everything else by leaps and bounds. So we, we abandoned all the other dishes and we just focused on that. We managed to get into the Mojo market and Seapoint. We were able to make enough money just to eke enough, just to eke through that we managed to survive COVID based purely on our fried chicken sales. Fried chicken sales, yeah. And that was keeping forced four other staff employed and we managed to do it it was obviously very tight we managed to pull through just on um, that dish but that talks to something else which which i always say food trucks are particularly good at this like that birataco dude mm. in metal lane in yeah. town yeah. where you do one thing and you do one thing so your your team knows how to make it perfectly mm. you do it well mm. that that mm. dish is exceptional mm. the sourcing on it everything is perfect on on, mm. on that dish and so people know it they come for it and then you don't have to order you know, three different kinds of protein five different kinds of rice or noodle no it's a it's a one-stop shop yeah you know? exactly, um, exactly we have our fried chicken and we have our fried cauliflower oh yes um, you do the cauliflower for we, the vegetables we're also very proud of our cauliflower because i think a lot of people have tried to make the cauliflower they said oh we're gonna, we're gonna make it at home and it's like no it's it's hard to do because yeah. you need that it's getting that right amount of of batter which still makes it crispy but not like heavy yes um and we really perfected that um so we sell yeah we sell quite a bit of cauliflower as well my wife often orders the mix where you yeah. do half and half or something so you get yeah. half cauliflower half chicken so you can pretend it's vegetarian yeah or you can pretend that it's vaguely healthy for you <laughs> um but obviously it's a bit of a it's a bit of a decadent purchase but you know we, we're very proud of it we always make sure that um the ingredients that we put in it we don't skimp on the ingredients um our food costs are 
fairly high in it, but just because we, we want to use the best ingredients to make sure okay. that you get the right authentic flavor for it. Yeah, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a journey, but um, fried chicken has definitely got us through it. How many portions of that dish are you selling a week, would you say? I think during summertime, we probably sell about between 450 and 500, sometimes over that. That's a, I mean, that's a lot, but that's across four markets though, right? Four markets, yeah. But th- if that's the mainstay and that's how you're keeping your staff and, and everyone's trained and, and mm. on it, you also do catering. Are you still making canapes? Oh, yes, indeed. We've actually, that to me is the focus of the business right now. Okay. The fried chicken runs itself. We, we have a systems in place. Um, I have great staff working for it. That's all done. But for the last year and a half, we've started to push the canapes. I wanted to focus on um, doing something which I have a particular talent for. Um, when, when I was back in Vancouver, every year they have the British Columbia, which is the province in which Vancouver is, the BC, as they call it, the, the BC Wedding Award, and they have Best Canapé. And we were, the, we were the only company, I think, ever to do Best Canapé or win it in all categories for two years running. So I'm very proud of that. Um, so uh, let me interrupt you there because I thought you I, I, don't, I didn't think you were going to tell me a story about canapes there. I thought you were mm. going to tell you that, tell me that your special talent was hoodwinking the lull <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when they come knocking at the door to close you down no, no. <laughs> no. it's it's canapes because canapes. I mean Luke Dell Roberts recently started the, that salon mm. he did the, the canapé thing but he's gone back to small plates because mm. I, I, I guess Canapé is a challenging. I mean, it's very challenging. To me, it's hard to sell it as one bite. Because a canapé is one bite. One so bite how do you sell ma- someone maybe two. one bite? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and you, obviously, enough. he's got, a, he's got all, the, all, the, all the overheads. So his, you got to... Um, so what we generally do is that we have... For most of our menus, people usually opt for the, for the 12 course or sometimes 10, but usually 12, 12 course canapé and upwards. Some of those canapés are one bite and some of them are two or three or four or five bites so it's okay. we have small plates so it's, it's canapes but it's also small plates because i mean i've looked if, if one looks at your mm. um no fixed address the the instagram feed some of those things look very complicated construction yes uh, yes and i mean it's that's that's what we're trying to do to make us you know rise above the rest i think as far as i'm aware i think we're the only catering company in cape town that that focuses almost entirely just on canapes. A lot of chefs just hate making canapes because it, <laughs> because it is it is very finicky. It's they hate a, breakfast service and they hate they, canapes. They do hate yeah. canapes, yeah. and it's it's like seen as being like, let's just put something on the plate. What I really enjoy is that I enjoy the challenge of thinking about a whole plate of food and then trying to shrink that whole plate of food into one or two bites, and trying to ensure that each element of that plate is is incorporated on that in that bite. Am I right? Did I see? A dessert canapé, which was a churro in a chocolate, was that what no, it was? No, so it's, it is, we make our own churros. Yeah. Um, we do a couple of, we do about four or five different really nice um, dessert canapés. But the churro is pretty good. We do it with a dolce de leche, um, but a proper dolce de leche. You know, it's it's a deep, deep caramel flavor. Yes. Um, and then we serve, it with, we serve it with yogurt just to... That sounds weird. To break that sweetness. Sweetness, exactly. Yeah. And it, it really works. That's very um, good. And then we also, the other favorite ones of ours, we do a really nice little um, little lint dot chocolate fondant little baby one, which it's, it's like literally this, it's one bite and it pops in your mouth. Uh, and with just chocolate lava inside. Uh, we do a really nice roasted 
coconut panna cotta with a passion fruit syrup and white chocolate crumb. Little baby, little carrot cakes with a burnt, um, with a brown butter pecan, a little creme fresh caramel. So just all these things. And in the savory department, what are you savory, working on that you love uh, right now? Savory is, there's so many savory, savory elements. Um, I'm sort of working on one right now, which is a, it's based on, I used to work at a, when I first left law, yeah. I got a job just for three months, just doing a stage at this Thai restaurant. And it was probably the best Thai restaurant in, in um, Vancouver. Um, and I was initially supposed to stay for like, for a week. I stayed for like two months or three months, whatever it was there. And one of the dishes they used to do was something, it was a dish where it, it was basically a tamarind chili um, and lime glaze and then they would they would fry their fish and they would toss it in this in this glaze and it was delicious it was the balance it was the classic balance of what thai food should be the class the balance of That's sweet, sweet sour, sour. Yeah. all those different elements going on um so we sort of we're working on that with possibly like a like a really flavorful like black rice little bonus addition to that so it's all about yeah having that i was i'm always fascinated by that balance of like if there's too much acidity, it's got to be mellowed down. Or if it needs more of a more of a more of a spike, more chili. It's 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 not just and it's it's not just one element. There's there's always got to be a complexity. I'm listening to that description and I'm watching you speak, so the listeners can't see the hands going and the mm. eyes narrowing, and mm. I can literally see you tasting mm. the the dish as you're describing it. Mm. So how do you come to do? this from the law because i mean surely if you're a lawyer i mean f good food for you is how to pad the expense yeah. account it's yeah. not yeah. so where 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 do you find yourself in a kitchen after yeah. the law um as i said i always hated being a lawyer but i'd always had probably for about 10 years prior to doing the whole law thing before giving up the whole law lock um was I used to really enjoy just going to these cook to these um, bookshops and just spending two or three hours just going through cookbooks. Okay. Um, I've always loved just like, and then you'll you'll go through an entire book and you'll find one recipe, and then if you were sneaky enough, you could bring your iPhone and just take a quick snap of the recipe. <laughs> oh, uh, I make cookbooks for yeah, a living, and it's so because of you. Russell, I'd probably have to work I was sometimes out. guilty of that. Yeah. But often I'd buy the book if I really liked it. Yeah. People ask like, where do you get your flavor from? And and I've always liked big bold flavors, but I often find that some of the quite a few, definitely a few dishes of mine remind me of the food that my mother used to make, and she had a really good savory palate. And it just just worked. And I really think that my mother was a big influence in in, in quite a few of the dishes that we that we bring out. Um, and it's all about you know you can have fancy, but at the same time, and you can have uh, complexity, but above all, it should be delicious. To me, that's so important is that whatever dish we, we bring out, if it's not delicious, we don't serve it. And I think a lot of canapes these days that you see, I think it's more about like, let's just get it out. As long as it tastes okay, it's, it's fine. Bulk feeding people. It's bulk feeding. You yeah. know, it's, you, still get the, you still get those places that serve your, your greasy samosa or your, you know, your dried chicken skewer. Look, you're constantly you know, looking on the Facebook page of the people who, who advertise the catering, and it's those those round, mm. molded plastic trays of samosas, sausage yeah. roll, blah, blah. and you just wonder, with the tomato sauce yeah. in the well in the middle, yeah. you just wonder, what. Like, where's the imagination I mean, there? for us, Good we catch. never, 
just drop off platters. We do our, all our mise en place and we bring it to the client's home and then we assemble there. So the heating, the, the plating is all done at the client's home or the, or the corporate event we're going so to. So you haven't got the travel issue and the getting cold and the reheating? No, and no, it's all, it's, okay. all, it's all done fresh. I refuse to just drop off a plate of... Because to me, it's not going to represent our company. Right. It's not going to show exactly how good it can be. Because once it goes cold, it, it's not the way it should be. So I would rather we serve it there. And, and we have a good serving team. Um, we have a company called KZN uh, Crew, and they're very good. Um, they know the food that we serve. And we have a good... My new sous chef is, used to work at... He was a junior sous at La Colombe. I have a really good concept of what flavors I want, but sometimes it's nice to have that somebody who's been in the fine dining industry just to give it that little touch of, touch of elegance and polish, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. which has been very good. And also just his interpretation of flavors, having that as well has been really, really interesting as well. And who, who's, your, who's your customer? Who, who's, your, who's your preferred customer? I'd say it's just people who, who really like delicious food, but who want to have something different to what, they usually get. Yeah, um, so the chicken a la king and samosas. We, yeah, exactly. We, I mean, saying that we do a very good sausage roll, but, <laughs> but I think so, so, sometimes you have to include those. Because those that's the flavors. expectation, yes. Yeah, because some people, and again, if you have a, a, an event where maybe the clientele is a little bit older, you, sometimes you can't do the too crazy, funky stuff. You've got you to hone it back a little bit. Also, it's about being sensitive to the audience because, you know, I think we can safely say that you and I both love food and mm. we're interested in interesting flavors and, and yeah. discovery yeah. and that's the thing yeah. but very often if you're catering to an event there'll be the mad uncle who only eats sausage rolls and chicken a la king mm. you know or, and there are people who, who quite frankly don't want to be experimental with their mm. palate they just want a voice roll so you've got you've got to strike that we somehow do, strike that we balance. do in a way but i mean if that's what the client wants then they don't come to us you know yeah, okay so i mean okay. we 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 would do our best to adapt as much as we can but but you're not going to sacrifice other people's enjoyment for the sake of one <laughs> person who ankle. wants to have yeah. chicken other king for every course and i mean kai is going off to thailand for three weeks i'm hoping he's going to come back inspired with some new new, new ideas stuff, and flavors yeah. and because um i think we both love that asian element more so than the Mediterranean. Our food is definitely more Asian-centric. Not that we are exclusively Asian-centric, but to me, like, Asian food has that punch, which, you know, you don't really get. You, I mean, you do, but I, again, I just prefer well, that, that, if, that Indian, if you're trying Southeast to, Asian If you're flavors. trying to convince someone in a single mouthful or two mouthfuls, you're not going to go, like, Beef Wellington, are you? you no. You, you, you're going to go to something punchy, yeah. something Asian. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the dishes that we, the last dish that we won that award for, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting dish. It's, I actually went to a, a, a Michelin, I went to a Michelin star restaurant when I was in London, sure, 15 years ago. The chef who owned the restaurant is a very well-known figure called David Thompson. David Thompson has written one of the Bibles of Thai food. I went there because I managed to get a lunch booking there and I went in there and actually the chef that I was working for, there was, this was the time when I'd, I had, was volunteering or staging at that Thai restaurant, Thai in, restaurant Vancouver. in Vancouver. Yes. And the guy, Angus, who was the head chef who, who started the restaurant in Vancouver, he was one of his protégés. Um, and so I told them that I was from Vancouver that I worked and they said, oh, come downstairs. And they showed me the restaurant and they gave me an extra couple of courses. So we had an amazing meal. and. And they did a very good green curry, but they did it with rabbit, which was a very unusual combination. That's that is unusual. Um, that gamey flavor, it, it was delicious. Um, so we came back and we, 
um, I've always thought that in Thai food, you, you don't see lamb. It just doesn't, because they don't have lamb there, right. or very rarely. So we do this green curry butternut, or butternut and lamb shank green curry. Um, and we cook the lamb shanks as super tender, and then we shred it. So you have a really, so that to me, lamb really works with Thai food, especially a green curry, because a green curry is naturally sweet. And, and the lamb has that, especially a lamb shank, it has that sweetness to it. It, yes. it pairs up really well. With, and then we serve it with a, a crispy sushi, sushi rice base. So you have that, again, to me, texture is very important, especially with canapes. I think we try to include some texture in our canapes. Yes. Uh, and this is a really interesting texture. It's a crispy rice, braised butternut, this, this shredded, um, super tender lamb with, and then we top it with a little, uh, we, we, we make another coconut uh, green curry sauce, which we add a lot of Thai basil to it and all that kind of stuff. And it's in one bite. Right, yeah. Um, and then we, we've adapted that since like, when I got back home. So we now do a Durban beef curry. And we serve it, rather than the sushi rice, we serve it with a, a pilaf rice, which we do the same concept. We make little squares and we deep fry it. So you have the same crispy with the beef, and then we do a little sambal on top of that. So it's just, it, to me, it's a curry in one, it's a whole curry in one spoon. In one spoon, fantastic. But without the usual, like, having to put it on rice. And to me, it's, the rice is there, but it's, it's, people often come back and say, like, like, what was that base? And I say, that's rice. And they're like, oh, it wasn't polenta. Or I say, no, no, no it's, it's rice. It's rice. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, so we try to do the... Unusual, to me, it's, it's, if you do a canapé, it's not just having a, you know, a beautiful piece of meat. Your base component is also very important. Um, and that's, it's not just for texture, but it's for flavor as well. Um, so when you do a canapé, it's, it's the whole consideration from top to bottom. Yes, from the wonders of Japanese fried chicken mm. to the complexities of mm. your canapes. This has been such a great chat and I can see you glancing at your watch and I'm sure that you need to go and get some prep done for those 500 portions of <laughs> Japanese chicken. Yeah, got, uh, busy day ahead. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome, Russell. Today. Lovely yeah. chatting to you. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you to my guest today and to all the creators, innovators and sloggers who take the time to chat to me at a table in the corner. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a comment. Until we meet again, please consider what you eat and where it comes from. Most of all, support small business, consume sustainably, and wherever possible, buy local.